should have had this on already, but we had some guys in my office, and we were just praying, and uh, man, it was just so good. We were late getting in here, and so we've just been kind of scrambling. But the Lord is good, amen? amen? He is so good, and he is, at, he is moving in our church uh, in ways that uh, are so exciting to me, and I've been praying uh, for a long time uh, that the Lord would, would do these things, and uh, I, I hope that we can continue to pray and continue to see the Lord work in, in amazing ways. Here, bear with me, I'm sorry. I don't know why it started making me do this. Ridiculous. Hey, I don't care if you know it. I ain't got nothing to hide. You get, you'll get all my notes uh, anyway. Good, great. Okay. Um, but the Lord is working in amazing ways, and I think that uh, those of you who, uh, I think it might be, I think you still see it, but it's a little harder to see if you're, if you're just Sunday, you know, Christian Sunday Williams, and you just come on Sunday and you go, which, you know, I'm glad you're here. Please don't hear me saying that I'm not glad you're here, but I will say that you're, you're, so, you're missing out on so much, so much, and it's just the fellowship and the movement of the Spirit, and um, it's just, it's absolutely amazing uh, how God works in and through His people as we interact with one another and as we pour into one another. I, I, it's like I just can't wait to get back into that place, and it's not just two coming and gathering and meeting here, but it's also the fellowship that comes along with it as we are text messaging. And I'll just tell you this, that this week, uh, man, this sermon has really just come out of, uh, obviously, my study uh, of God's Word, but also the interaction that I've been having with all of my brothers as we've just been throwing around Scripture and studying the Scripture and uh, even interactions uh, online and on Facebook with my brothers as we're kicking stuff back and forth and sharing pictures and things like that and sharing different ideas with each other. It's just absolutely amazing what God has done. And uh, this message, what I'm getting at is this message is really, it is a collaboration of my study along with my interaction and my fellowship with so many of you here who I interact with. And, you know, we have usually have about 200, 225 people just in here. And then we have a bunch of kids in there. So obviously I can't interact with everybody on that level, but we can interact with one another and we can build one another up and we can come together in different ways. And so we have prayer group on Wednesday night. We have men's meeting on Thursday night. We have women's prayer and share on Sunday night and those are just to name a few we have several different ways that you can get involved in and it's not something that I'm sitting here saying hey you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do you need to be here don't hear that it's just you're missing out on a on a fantastic opportunity to interact with God's people to be built up and blessed we have spout on Wednesday nights we have bucket groups on Wednesday nights if you're not involved, you're really just missing out on so much awesome fellowship that God uses to build you up, to encourage. If you, even if you remember last week's sermon, or not last week, but the week before that, when we talked about, take care, brothers, lest there be any uh, evil, unbelieving heart in you. And it said, 
Make sure that you are today uh, exhorting one another so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a continual daily interaction with your fellow believers so that you're not led away into disbelief, so that you're not led away into being deceived by the enemy and becoming hardened toward the things of God. And, and let me just tell you some very practical things to look for to ask yourself. Am I hardened? How do we examine our hearts? What do we look for? And we start to look for things like how much joy is in my life? You know, do I fall apart at the drop of a hat? And, and most of you, if, you're, if you are interacting with God, or even if you have a, a knowledge of God's Word and what God's Word says, then you know, I guarantee you, just about guarantee you, that when you fly off the handle at your husband or your wife or your children or that person at the grocery store, or that guy that cuts you off, and you overreact, and maybe you just kind of exist in a perpetual state of worry and anxiety and frustration and, and you just, ah, you're about to snap at any second, then there are moments of clarity, I, I would about guarantee, where you step back from that situation and you say to yourself, and you may not say it out loud, but you probably need to, to somebody, this is the fellowship of the saints, that we step back from that situation and we look at ourselves and we say, what in the world is wrong with you? Have you ever done that? I do that. I've done that, right? I, you know, I step back sometimes, and I'm like, Brennan, what are you doing? You're not, inter you're not living out of the abundance that Christ has, has poured into you. You're not living out of the fullness of Christ and the reality that he has done all the work to provide for you uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You're not living out of that. And so the problem is not a grit and determination problem. The problem is a rest problem. You see, we get so overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, and we, we pop off at the slightest thing because we're overwhelmed with trying to preserve and bring reality into focus and to make it what we desire by our own personal efforts and our own, our own natural works and our own self-preservation. And since we know our limitations, we're on pins and needles because we, at that moment, have bought into the idea that tomorrow depends on us today. And since we know our shortcomings and we know our uh, issues and we know our frailty, we're all over the place. We're worried because we know we can't hold it all together. And in that moment, it reveals that we're not trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, we need to strive every day. We need to work. We need to push. We need to, to fan into flame. What, though? The spirit that God has placed in you, the gift that God has given you. And we need to pursue and strive after believing in God and his finished work which out of that will be produced, the fruit of the Spirit, will be produced peace. And, and just another practical application is this, is that when you feel yourself overwhelmed with anxiety and frustration, the moment we can really and actually remind ourselves and sit at the foot of the cross remembering that Jesus has done it all and tomorrow is provided for, 
then yes, that produces, it produces striving, but the striving is out of excitement and peace instead of worry and anxiety. Because we know that everything is going to be all right. Right? It's going to be okay. If I don't get that thing done today, it'll be okay. I strive because the Spirit's in me and I want to be excellent. But it'll be okay. If my kid does this or my boss does this or my employee does this, it'll be okay. If they cut me off, I've tested this. If you get cut off in traffic or if you get behind someone who's going 10 miles an hour, and I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on my own toes right now. If you get behind someone that's going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, in any normal, in any normal uh, traveling distance that you're going to do in a day, normally speaking, that's going to hinder you maybe three minutes. But we fly off the handle as if they have ruined our entire day. You see how when we stand back from those situations, we just realize just how silly we are and how we have, how we have fallen apart because we weren't trusting that every, everything is going to be all right, right? Everything's going to be all right. So this morning I want to get into the scriptures and I want to unpack this for you. And I want to talk about faith and works this morning. Two weeks ago we covered the second half of Hebrews chapter 3. And in that, I'm going to do a short intro, right? A short recap. In Hebrews, I, I kind of a summation at first. Now a recap of two weeks ago, just by way of reminder. Hope you were here. If not, you can go back and listen to it. Short recap is this. He's saying, look, you need to make sure that you're examining your hearts just to make sure that there's no evil, unbelieving heart in you. And, you know, you need to gather the brothers around you and, and exhorting each other, uh, even as the day is called today. We talked about how every day where we make a decision is called today because we can't make any decisions yesterday. Those are already made. And we can't make any decisions today that we're going to make tomorrow because tomorrow's not here yet. And so it is today. It's, it's, it's always today where we are. And so in the today of your reality, we need to be uh, interacting with other believers. We need to be examining our hearts, and we need to be striving for God and those types of things. And then it gave us an example and something, a warning that we need to stay away from, and that is uh, the warning and the example of the Israelites that came out of Egypt into the wilderness and then eventually made it to the border of the promised land, but they were unable to go in because of what? Because of their disobedience, which proved their unbelief. And so we preach this message that examine your hearts to see if there be any unbelieving heart in you, to see if there's any disbelief, it's this, to see if there's disobedience that would point to a, a disbelieving heart that would keep you from entering into God's promise, right? And at the end of that message, I had several people come up to me and say, boy, you know, you're right, Brandon, the, the word of God hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realize I've not been doing near enough. I've been I've been uh, kind of just halfway, and, and I need to, to set my mind to the, to the truth, and I need to get to work, to put my hand to the plow. And then we had others. I had another come to me, and the message hit them a little bit different. And they said, you know, Brandon, I realized uh, what you were saying, and, and the word hit me, and, and I realized that I've been doing a bunch of stuff, 
but uh, I've been doing it out of the wrong heart, that I've been religious for a long time, and uh, I've been doing all these things, but I don't really know the Lord. I'm not walking with Christ. We don't have a personal interaction together. I've just been checking the boxes. You see the two differences there. And I would say, praise the Lord to one and oh no to the other. Oh no to the one that wrongly heard me saying that if you seem to have failed to enter into his rest or fallen short of it, that you need to work your tail off and make sure that you've got a bunch of work so that you can prove your salvation and so that you can make sure to shore up a shaky foundation so that you can get into God's rest. No, that's not what I'm saying. The second response is the accurate response, and that is I have been doing a whole bunch of stuff, but I've been doing it in the wrong spirit, that I have been doing it in order to appease an angry God instead of realizing that he has done all the work and that I just need to rest in him. And so we're going to flow and clarify some of that in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, to begin with, and uh, I don't have a bunch of notes today because I'm probably going to be all over the place and I'm going to be like that conspiracy theorist just like, please keep up. <laughs> all right? Because the Lord has just rocked my world in the past mm, four or five weeks, just bringing me to this place. And I already had head knowledge of this stuff, but it's hard to live in this stuff because it's so opposite of what the world says and what we understand uh, in our flesh. So please stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, uh, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. You may be seated. <clears throat> So we're going to talk today about faith and works and uh, examining your heart to see whether or not you have come into God's rest. We're going to talk about what is God's rest. And uh, if you want to write this down, we're going to talk about the different types of faith and the different types of works. This is going to be crucial because I think it is at the heart of our misunderstanding about the call to examine your heart and to become assured of your salvation or to come into the place where you understand that you have entered into God's rest, okay? So let's start out just by walking through the scripture just for a moment, and then I'll just kind of begin to unpack it as we go through. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise, and we're going to look at this right here, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Okay, so let's start there first. And uh, let me change this to yellow because I think I was told that that shows up better. 
<clears throat> All right. So let's just kind of start to break it down a little bit, a word at a time. Let's see if we can kind of put some stuff together here of what God, the author of Hebrews, the apostle here, is wanting us to get out of this. Now, again, the two reactions that we get from a sermon that says, um, examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. The two reactions to that that we get are normally, well, outside of, you know, that's all hogwash, you know, get away from me. It is usually, oh no, I may not be saved. Let me begin to work a lot harder. And in our day, that work looks like I need to make sure I'm reading my Bible more. I need to make sure I'm praying more. I need to make sure I'm at church every time the doors open. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to, right? And so we need to ask ourselves, is that what the text means? Is that what we should desire and drive toward? The other response is, oh no, I've been working all this time in order to prove my salvation but I've not realized that I, in my works, can add nothing to my salvation. I need to lay everything down at the foot of the cross of Christ who has done all the work for me. And out of that will flow rivers of life and will come the fruit or the actual works that we need to see in our life. Okay. Now you see there in that the distinction between the two types of faith and the two types of works. Okay. I would distinguish that you can write this down. I'm not going to break all of this down, but I would distinguish these two types of faith as one, a true saving faith. I would call that a child faith. Just write down child faith. And we can see this a lot throughout the scriptures. I mean, from start to finish, it's all over the Bible. One place where it's very explicit is in James chapter 2. We see a child faith versus or in contrast with the second type of faith, and that is a slave faith. <clears throat> so you have a slave faith, which is a false faith. It is a dead faith. It is a faith that provides no eternal security or sal salvation. And then you have a child faith, a childlike faith, if you want to say it that way, which is a faith that is totally dependent on God, trusting in Him for all provision, and it is a faith that truly saves and uh, provides eternal life and eternal provision from the Lord. So a Child faith versus a slave faith. Now, with these two faiths comes two different types of work as well. Because uh, everybody that believes normally has works. And I would almost go so far as to say they always have at least some works. Okay? So those of a slave faith, and so we'll break that down just a little bit just to make sure that you are following. Are you guys following with me so far? A slave faith is, it is a belief in God, as we see in James chapter 2. It is a belief in God in some capacity or some realm. In James chapter 2, it's, uh, the example is that the demons even believe that God is one, uh, yet they do not uh, bow down to him, yet they're, they're not saved, they're not, you know, they don't love Jesus, they're not, it, it, they have dead faith, Right? So this is a slave faith, and they do a bunch of stuff, you know, different people that have slave faith, you know, all, this type of, all these types of things. And they have a bunch of faith. In James chapter 2, remember, he's talking to Jews as well. Hebrews is primarily written, the audience is Jewish, although it's all applicable to, to everyone in every situation and every generation. That remember the baseline... Uh, presupposition or the foundation of Judaism 
uh, in the Mosaic Covenant was works. That was a works-based covenant. They needed to work, 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 and do, 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 do. And it wasn't that they could get salvation by works, but that whole covenant was a tutor. It was a it was one that was uh, over the children, a slave master over the children to uh, allow them to see the actual reality that they could not enter into salvation. They could not enter into rest. They could not enter into uh, oneness with God through their works because they could not keep the law. Paul goes so far as to say to call the law, including the Ten Commandments, the commandments written on stones, uh, a ministry of death and that was one of the purposes of the law to demonstrate to those who were under it that they could not come in they were slaves they could not come in so we know that they worked their tails off in order to make sure that everything was going to be okay and even though they believed in God we see in Hebrews chapter 3 that their disobedience to God led to the conclusion that they were not believers, they had no faith, and therefore they did not get to go in. And then on the other side of that, we have child faith that uh, it understands itself, it, it, the, the person with child faith understands themselves just as children of God, heirs of righteousness, heirs of the throne, heirs of Christ, that they have every provision that they could possibly imagine provided for them. They don't have to work. They don't, they don't have to provide for themselves. We, you know, even in last week's ser sermon with, or service with the youth, uh, I brought Titus up here at the very end, and I said, look, this is my son. It would be, it would be nonsensical for you to, to ask him or tell him that you don't, you don't deserve to, you know, enjoy your dad's food. You need to make sure that you are doing what you're supposed to do or you won't get to eat tomorrow. He'd say, what? You know, if I get in trouble today, I'm still going to eat tomorrow because my dad, he loves me. You know, he does, it's not, it, it doesn't make any sense to him. Now, he will have works too. He will have evidence that he's a poor reed too, uh, but it will come from supply and not from a self-preserving uh, uh, effort to make sure that he still gets to stay at my house tomorrow. Does that make sense? Does this make sense so far? That it will flow out of the reality that we are God's children, not in order to secure a type of reality where God would bless us or call us his father. Okay, so let's get into the, the, to the Hebrews text now and break it down a little bit more. And I really want you to think about these things because if you can wrap your mind around this, if you can wrap your heart around this, if the Lord would be so gracious to open up our minds, then we could really, really take a breath, relax, and enjoy life to a degree that you could not even imagine possible. So let's, let's get into it. Okay, so therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. A couple of things I want to point out right quick is that the, the, the idea or the, um, the call to uh, enter into or the entering into his rest is not built or contingent on a, a type of achievement. What the author is not saying here is 
Therefore, while entering his rest is still a possibility, make sure that you are doing what you're supposed to do so that you might be granted that by way of achievement. He is not saying that you should strive in order to please God and in order to make sure that you earn your way in, but he calls it a promise. Now, if we understand the biblical idea of promise, this is that God has done everything that needs to be done and promises if you will just come to him, if you will just submit to him, if you will just believe, if you will just trust, then it's already there for the taking. It is not something that needs to be earned. It is not something that you will get to one day if you're good enough. This is a steadfast and sure promise, as sure as God is himself, that based on who he is, what he has already done, and the, the work that's been completed before the foundations of the world, that it's there. It's a promise. It's a covenant. And if you would only come and bow and confess and trust in him, you won't have to worry about tomorrow ever again. Ever. And this is a promise. It is not a call to achieve some lofty goal out there if you're good enough. Let's look at something else. <clears throat> it says, while it still stands. And so remember, we're leaning back here in, in Hebrews chapter 3 of a day uh, way back when. I can't help it. I got a drink. Heather said that's too loud. I need to flick it every time I drink, take a drink of water. But you're just going to have to deal with it because I'm not that coordinated. <laughs> just think of it as, as drinking the, the, the water of Christ, the living water. <laughs> So here we are, we're, we, he's already drawn our attention to another time where people were seeking to enter rest, right? And he points us to the, the Israelites who came out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness, they were, they were in a tough spot, they were in, uh, uh, they were in a, a, a dry and weary land, it's a place of separation, it's a place of desperation, it's a place of loneliness, a place of great heat. A, a place of great cold at night. It was a place of starvation. It, you know, it, it's, it's a really, really, really tough place. And he says that they failed to enter that promise. We read that in Hebrews chapter 3. Why? Because of their disobedience, okay? That was their, their refusal to enter into God's promises, their refusal to trust God, to obey Him, to follow what He has said in order to enter the rest. They wanted to pres preserve themselves, and so they were working, 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 and they still were not able to enter the rest, the promised land. They were not able to enter. They died in their sin in the wilderness with no provision because they thought that they could secure the provision and they did not trust God for the provision. Therefore, they did not get it. And so he says, I've told you about this rest. Now I'm telling you that there still remains a rest that you can enter into, that that promise of rest still stands. It's there. It's not fallen. It's not corrupt. It's not weakened. As a matter of fact, that was a shadow. We know in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, he said all of these things are types and shadows pointing to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we see that the Israelites in the wilderness are just a shadow. That's a mini picture. 
That's a microcosm of the macro. It, this is just a, an idea of what we're talking about here. He's saying, like the Israelites failed to enter into the promised land because of their disobedience and unbelief in a physical way, there's a spiritual reality to this that still remains. And all that was just a picture of the bigger reality. But the, the parallel is easily visible that if you continue in your disobedience and you continue like the Israelites and we're going to talk about what it was like what the Israelites were like in the wilderness and we'll see if our lives match that or if we need to make some adjustments or ask God to help us is that if you if you do like the Israelites did then you too will fail to enter rest but it won't be a physical land it will be the presence of God it will be enjoying his blessings and his presence and his provision forever. And so what was that disobedience? What did that look like? We'll talk about that in just a second. He says, let us fear. And so there is this, there is this anticipation. There is this question that needs to be asked. And many of us, we don't, we don't have any fear. We, and, but we know, remember what I was talking to you about a while ago, that oftentimes we, even as professing believers, we're walking through life and, and we know all about the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? We know all about that. We know about Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is talking and he says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. T today has enough worries for itself. Let tomorrow worry about itself tomorrow. He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't work or toil. But they, they're dressed in splendor. Think about the birds of the air. They don't, they don't, you know, they're not worried about tomorrow. They just do what they do, and the Lord provides for them. Are you not more important than a little bird? God knows what he's doing, and you don't have to worry about it. But here we are as professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are consumed with worry. We are consumed with with making a name for ourselves and making sure we pad our bank accounts and making sure we prepare for tomorrow and for the next day and we've got to have savings for a year and, and I'm not against savings I'm not against preparing but when we are so trusting in our own efforts to prepare for tomorrow that we cannot enjoy today then something is wrong and the fact of the matter is, is that many of us who profess to be Christians and who say that we have partaken of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of our needs have been met, we worry and we toil and we're, we're snapping at everybody because things aren't going just right. And what about tomorrow? What about this? What about that? What about this? Can, are you not worried? <laughs> How many of you have been around someone who actually does and I think that we have our ebbs and flows right we have ups and downs and it's not like we're gonna be in this continual state of this you know we're not um, you know we're not monks on some mountain you know completely disassociated from reality we are fighting the flesh man right we're continually battling with him we're gonna talk about what that looks like but how many of us, we get in our flesh quite often, and maybe many of you have been living there for quite a while, right? And we, we say, you know, we, we get around someone who is in that place where, you know, they're meditating and they're loving God and, and they're in touch with the Holy Spirit and they're actually walking according with the Spirit and their life is a dadgum mess, but they just, it'll be okay, you know? It'll be all right, man. And they just make us sick, Right? Are you not worried? Like, we're mad. We're Christians who know Matthew chapter 6, but we're ticked off because they're not worried, right? How many of you have done that before? 
All right, the rest of you need to repent for lying. It's, it's right, because we have, this, we have this internal flesh, this, this internal thing that we have to continually battle against that says, you have to make a way. You have to make provision. You have to make sure you've got a plan. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. And we, it's hard for us to say, nah, the Lord's taking care of it. Now, some of you who are in that first category are listening to me saying right now, he is leading people astray and he is making lazy bums. Let's talk about those other works, though, as we keep moving. There is, a, there is a reason for us to fear, though. Listen, if you're in a place and you're in continual anxiety every day or you're in frustration or, or whatever, if you're striving after uh, selfish ambition and all these things, and all these are scriptural ideas, then you need to check your heart and you need to fear because it may be pointing to the fact that you're not trusting God, Okay. Uh, it says, lest any of you should seem to have failed, and look at this right here, this is past tense. This is past tense, okay? If you have failed to reach it, okay? The idea here is, and I went back and looked at the original language on this too, and the big idea here is that in this, now, now remember a few weeks ago I told you that the believer should be continually and actively believing in Jesus right now in today. And that is a reality, okay? But there is also a reality, and I've made this distinction many times here, there's also a reality that the believing that we are doing is also a belief that we have had. That believing, salvation in and of itself is often misunderstood by Christians because this isn't talked about this way. We just, you know, especially in the Southern Bible Belt, our preachers and our pastors, they like to say stuff like, come down here, get saved, and uh, you will be good forever. You know, that this is like a one and done, wham, bam, you know, let's go. Uh, and there's a sense, and, I, and I'm, I'm all for the security of the believer. So there is a sense in which you believe, and that is a, it is a one-time thing that happens that justifies you before the living God, uh, and you are counted righteous before a holy and living God. Your faith is debited to you as righteousness, okay? But there is also a real sense in which it is a continual believing day by day. And so Paul says it this way, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. That's the language of the Bible. It's not a one and done, don't talk about it anymore. This is a process, it's a lifelong process. So there is a reality in, once, in one sense that when you believe, you're saved, Okay? It cannot be undone. If you're truly born again, it can't be taken away. But that then is what we're talking about. That salvation that has, been, uh, has become a reality, point blank period, is now working itself out in you continually presently and that we are believing into the Lord Jesus Christ. That verb there, pistueo, uh, in John 3.16 is actually a present active indicative. It means that those who, actually it's a participle, I keep saying verb, but it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is believing into him is believing in the son. Those are the ones who will not perish but have eternal life. And then there is a sense in the final day that we will be saved out there one day. So why do I bring all that up? Is that in this text, this particular text, what he's talking about here, and this is very significant to, to me and to you guys as well. He's saying here that you should understand and you should not have any fear because you have entered. That you have entered into God's rest. You understand what that means? 
that you have come now into God's rest. Now, obviously, obviously, the rest provided by God has indications and realities that extend out into the eternal future, right? We will enter into his rest completely and wholly and fully one day upon our full adoptions as sons and the, the resurrection of our body and all of that, right? We won't have to deal with sin anymore whatsoever. But there is a real sense and a real reality that even now, and we've talked about this in many different ways, even now, when we are born again, when we come into his presence, that we have now entered into his rest, that we are now partaking of all the fruit that he, of the work of his hands. We are now feasting on the realities of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is true now that we have everything that we need for tomorrow. And that is not in the physical realm, although physical blessings oftentimes are provided for the Lord. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. It's a, it's a wonderful reality. But the fact of the matter is, the grand reality is, is that everything you need is provided to you on a spiritual level so that if your physical needs and if your physical uh, reality and your flesh is broken or you are without or whatever that you're still fine you have joy everlasting like Paul says he says I've had a lot and I've had a little the the reality is and the truth is and the key is is to be content with whatever I have because why because the reality is is that I've got Christ and if I've got Christ I've got everything I need so if they take my life from me today it's fine that's how the apostles died so well. That's how they suffered so well. And it's in these moments of suffering well that is the greatest, uh, it is the greatest compulsion or is the greatest tool of, of uh, promotion of the gospel. Because everybody looks at that in their fleshly thinking. See, the, th the same mentality that makes you really anxious about today and snapping at your kids and snapping at your wife and snapping at your boss because things aren't going your way. The same reality there, it bleeds over into the fact that if you don't have what you need physically, then you're spiritually distraught. Does that make sense? But it, and that's, that's when you're walking according to the flesh. But when you're walking according to the spirit, then it's flip-flopped. Because you have all of your spiritual needs met, you don't necessarily have to have it your way in the flesh. And when it's taken away from you, you don't fall. You can continue on in your lack of anxiety and your uh, joy of life and, and in your self-control because these things, these fleshly realities, these fleshly blessings, these material blessings, these thoughts of men and thoughts of women, they don't guide you. They don't hold you up. They don't sustain you. You're not dependent on them because you've set those aside and trusted in the work of the living God. And so when things go, uh, when things go haywire, you're okay. Now, I say you're not happy about it, and nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that, but it tells us that we are to be joyous in it, which those, things, those two things are different, right? And so this is what it's talking about here, that let us fear. And, and here's the question that I would have for you flowing out of this text. Let's get really practical for a second. Let me ask each individual this. Are you right now, are you right now, let's, let's say it this way. Let's, you say it with me. Say, am I enjoying God's rest? 
Okay, so, because a lot of the times we want to elbow our neighbor and say, that's why you always ticked off all the time. You need to do business with God. But this is for each one of us. This is for me. This is for me. I mean, you can ask any of the guys that I interact with on these topics and stuff, and I've been confessing this, that I've been working my tail off and worried because about, about things about the church and things about work and things about whatever. Man, you name it, right? And I'm convinced that I just need to work harder and do more, work harder and do more. And there are things that need to be done. But the question is, where do those things come from? Now, let's say it one more time together. Am I enjoying God's rest? Am I enjoying God's rest? That's a real question. Are you enjoying God's rest? Are you just, just joyous to be alive? And, I, and many of you have things going on. It's crazy. Life is crazy. But in the reality of the craziness, are you okay? Are you at rest? Are you at peace? Are you okay? And if you're not okay, then why? What's, what's the next step if you're not okay? And that's what I want to talk to you now. Now watch what it says here. For good news came to us just as to them. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what the good news was that came to them, uh, but all we got to do is just look at the story. Lots of good news came to them. They were in bondage in Egypt. The good news was the great I am is coming to set you free, right? The good news is, is that, now I want you to think about this. We were, while we were yet uh, sinners, Christ died for us, right? Well, you're either, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. So while we, were, while we were in bondage to the corruption of our flesh, the great I am, Yahweh, Jesus said, Abraham, uh, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus is Yahweh, right? And just like Yahweh came to set the Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites free from the Egyptians, Jesus Christ has come to set us free. You just see this walk out, this parallel, it's all the way through, right? And so what was the good news that came to them? Well, they had good news continually. Uh, can you, okay, imagine this way. We know that the Egyptians had come down hard on the Israelite slaves, and they were slaves. The Egyptians were building their kingdom on the back of the slaves, uh, the Israelite slaves, and they were just turning that wrench. They were turning that wrench. Well, the Egyptians got scared when, some new, when a new pharaoh came into power. They got scared because uh, the Israelites were growing in number right? They were growing in number. And so they really tore down on them. And their life was miserable, right? And the uh, people started to uplift their voice to God. God heard them. He, he sent Moses to set them free. Can you imagine being an Israelite who had been so overwhelmed and, and, and so beaten down and, and just what a horrible, horrible, horrible existence hearing the good news that God had sent a prophet to make it known that Pharaoh would let you go or he would pay dearly. Can you imagine the good news? Oh, joyous day. Oh, happy day. Right? Would they be saying that? They would be saying that. I would be saying that. I'd be like, yes, yes. That's good news. Well, God did it, right? God did it. He set them free. Now, he had to really get down on Pharaoh. You know, he brought it to him and killed a bunch of people. Lots of blood didn't need to be that way. Uh, Pharaoh was hardened. He could have just let them go, kind of, and he didn't. And so God made an example out of him, and he brought the people 
uh, into freedom, into salvation. And he brought them into the wilderness, right? Where they were tested. Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness. He's tested. Well, to make a long story short, the good news came. They were in the wilderness. It was super, super hot, right? Oh, my goodness, it was so hot. What did God do? He provided a cloud by day. He shaded his people. He provided for them. There was no food. They were going to starve to death. What did he do? He dropped manna from the sky. Oh, they had food. He provided for them. Good news. Can you imagine? They're about to starve to death. They're crying out to God. They wake up the next morning, and a white substance is all over the ground. You know, the first one out of the tent or whatever they're sleeping in. Guys, guys, you're not going to believe this. Come out. You're not going to believe this. I got good news, guys. We're not going to die from starvation. Get out here. Good news, right? And at first, hey, man, I'm sure they were like, yes tastes weird but yes came with some instructions but yes good news they got no no you know nowhere to get any water god provided water from the rock jesus christ is the rock of ages all this good news good news good news good news good news and continually what was the disobedience now here is the key i want you to pay attention to me what, was, what did the disobedience look like? I want to see if you can find the parallel here. Good news over and over and over and over and over again. What was the disobedience? Watch the disobedience on every level of good news. The Egyptians were shattered in order for the Israelites to come out. He provided. He provided a way out. He provided salvation. But somebody tell me, where did the disobedience come? What did they say? Huh? They didn't trust. What did they want to do? Want to go back. They grumbled. They said, God, you have set us free from captivity. But look at this. This isn't good enough. At least I had something to eat back in Egypt. What were they missing? In Egypt... It might possibly have been com more comfortable in a way. They had shelter for the next day. They had food for that day. For the next day, they had provisions provided by their captor for the next day that they could count on. And they could see it. They knew it. In the wilderness, they had provision for the next day. But they had to trust God for it. They wanted to go back. Because God's provision did not meet their fleshly expectations. They wanted to trade the physical for the spiritual. And more than that, they had God with them. They wanted to go back. Their disobedience... Now, what did their disobedience look like practically? Let's see if we can connect us to them now because that was a long time ago, right? Let's see if we can connect them to us now. What did their disobedience look like practically? We said grumbling. We said complaining. They want to go back. Worry, anxiety. What were they, how did they grumble? What did they say? They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back. They said, they said back there we had what we needed. Out here, where's my stuff, God? I, what am I going to do? I can't get by like this, God. I can't get by like this. I don't have anything but, I don't, God, I don't have anything but what I need for, the, for today. Selfish, not trusting in God. 
They said, God, you're going to have to give. So God's word said, I will provide for you. They said, you're going to have to give me more than that. Your word is not good enough. I'm going to need, to, I'm going to need, I'm going to need at least a three-month supply. Think about the manna that dropped out of heaven. What was the complaint? What was the complaint? This tastes nasty. Okay, so we see all the grumbling. We see all the worry. We see all the, uh, the, the lack of gr uh, gratefulness, right? We see all of that practically. Remember what happened with the manna? The manna was instructed, take what you need for that day. Eat as much as you want, which there's, a, there's sermon after sermon after sermon in every part of this. You can have as much as you want today. Eat your fill. That's what Christ is. That's what Christ is. You, you, you feast on Christ, and you, you can have as much as you want, complete and utter, limitless supply. But you're going to have to trust me tomorrow. You're going to have to trust me tomorrow. You're going to have to trust me tomorrow because what happened? He said, listen, you eat as much as you want to today, but just know if you try to store any of this up for tomorrow in, in an effort to preserve yourself, it will rot and there will be maggots on it. And if you eat it, you'll be sick. But what did they do? They gathered it up. Oh, he won't know. I'll act like I'm eating it. They, they were trying. They're, they're work, they were working. They were working. They were working. Do you know how much more work it took to go ahead and gather up? and to, to These were works of self-preservation. They were working to take advantage in a fleshly manner of the things promised by God, but they were going through the means of a, 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 of a fleshly pursuit of self-preservation, trying to get what God alone can give by their own will and their own means. And God is saying, that's disobedience because you're not trusting me. The only reason that they were working so hard is because they weren't sure if God would be faithful the next day. How many of us are working our fingers to the bone because we're not sure if God is really faithful like his word says? We're not sure if God is really going to supply everything that we need tomorrow. And so we work and we work and we work and we work that God's not going to be faithful. And I could go on and on into the promised land, into all these things. You know, he sent these spies out to look at the land and they all came back. He said, well, the vast majority of them said, I know God said we could do it, but he must not have went because these jokers are huge. There's no way we can take them. We need at least, at least a year to, to, to train, to raise up more warriors, to plan, to plan our time. We can't do this. And then there was a couple that said, you guys are idiots. Do you not realize that God brought us out of Egypt and swallowed up the armies of Pharaoh in the Red Sea? Do you not, do you not remember how bread amazingly appeared from heaven? <laughs> do you not remember the pillar of fire by night when we were freezing and the cloud by day when we were roasting in the sun? Do you not remember? What is wrong with you guys? If God told us to go, he's already paved the way. I don't need to worry about it. You see how it alleviates all worry. And so it was their work. Their work was their disobedience. So you see how quickly we can get in trouble if you hear me saying that 
your faith, your, your works will prove your faith. And you get the idea that I mean that you need to make sure you buckle down and do more. No, 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 no. So, okay, it's late, and I need to get to those types of works. Okay, so we've pretty much hammered out these. And I would call these, okay, so you have slave faith and you have child faith. Put along with slave faith, put works of self-preservation. These are fleshly works. You want to say it that way. Now, don't get me wrong. Oftentimes, these are good things. These, this is not evil works per se. It's feeding the poor. It's going to church. It's reading your Bible. It's, it's not about the work. It's about the heart. That's why in Hebrews 3, it says, examine your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart. Because the same work flowing from an evil heart becomes an evil work. So let's talk about these other works. It says, but the message they heard, okay, this is why all that happened is because, but the message they heard did not, it did not benefit them because they were not united by, and here it is, faith. What is faith? This is child faith. They were not united by an understanding and trusting God to the level that they wouldn't worry about the bread tomorrow. They wouldn't worry about their situation now because they just wanted to be in the presence of the Father. That's all. They would those with childlike faith would never want to go back to Egypt. It doesn't matter if there was you know, 10,000 lollipops and 5,000 popsicles. It doesn't matter. They want to be with the Father, right? This is what the text says all throughout Scripture. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Better to be a doorkeeper in the, in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the, in the tents of wickedness forever. We just want to be with our Father, right? So slave faith is ready to go back. It's ticked off because it's here. It's mad because God hadn't done it the way they thought they wanted to do it. It's mad because, yeah, I believe in you, God, but you ain't pulling your weight. So I'm going to get these kids in order. I'm going to get this wife in order. I'm going to get this husband. I'm going to get these employees in order. I'm sick of this, right? And when God is provided, and when, you're a, when it's child faith, then we say, I don't know why this is shaping out like this, but you got this, God. You, you show me what I need to do, right? You show me what I need to do. Now, there are works that flow out of that, and let's, let's do that. So it wouldn't join by faith. Now, let's get into 3-4. For we who have believed, now here's the other side, who have believed, enter... Now, I looked at these two. This is, this is uh, an aorist, okay, which is a past tense. This is an action that is carried out or committed in the past with abiding results up to the future. So this is that idea that I was talking to you about, about that it was a, it was a belief and a trust that they had in a past instance that provided an, an abiding result up to this. And so that we who have believed, past tense, Enter. This is this is right here is it is a without getting too complicated, this is a middle passive voice verb that's that is basically saying that we who have believed are being brought into. It's really not that you are doing this, but that we who have believed in God are being brought into. We are we are being entered. I don't, if you know, does that make sense to you? That God, when we believed in God, that God has brought us up. And it's almost like the idea that, that God has brought us up 
and picked us up and is bringing us into and is entering into with us. And, and I say that because it's a middle passive. It's, this is a passive voice. It's not as if you believed and now you are entering, but you believe and you are being entered. Does that make sense? Does it? Uh, let's do it this way. Chris, come up here for a second. This will be good. This will be good. <clears throat> a little demonstration, I think, goes a long way. Okay, Chris, this is going to be a little weird and uncomfortable, but Chris is a man, right? He can, well, kind of, he can, he can provide for himself, right? Actually, this is a really good man. He works for me. Uh, I, I love having him around. He can get stuff done, right? But in this instance, let's say that uh, for a moment that I'll play the role of God, right? Now, Chris is trying his hardest, and rest is over there, okay? Rest is over there. Chris is trying his hardest to get over there, but he can't do it because over there is a hill that he can't climb. It's a barrier that he can't cross. It's a border that is, has got a nice Trumpian wall, right? He cannot get over there, right? He needs over there, but he can't get over there. And so he cries out, I can't get over there. And he says, I know that you can get me over there, right? And so Chris is trusting in God for something that he knows he can't do. And so as Chris, now this is going to be a little weird. This is what I'm telling you. It's going to be a little weird. Chris, in trusting that he, or, or acknowledging that he can't do it, and trusting that God can do it, then places himself in the arms of God. Here we go. Ready? Right. Oh, oh, my gosh. Okay, now God's stronger than me, okay? But now listen, Chris, don't, this is really, okay. Okay. Now, now listen, listen. God has Chris. Chris does not remain still. Chris moves forward. Stop doing that. Chris moves, listen. Chris moves forward. I wish I was a little stronger or you weren't as weird. Now, listen, listen, listen. Did, listen, listen, listen. Now, Chris stopped working. Chris stopped his working. But did Chris move forward? Yes, he did. How did Chris move forward? By being carried alone by a really weird pastor <laughs> love you listen to me church I should have picked somebody just a little lighter I was going to do Titus but I pick on him all the time so listen to me write this down the work that issues from a slave faith you already got this write the next thing the work that issues from a slave faith is a fleshly work of self-preservation. You don't trust God, so you've got to get busy yourself. The work of a child faith is the work that issues from trusting in a God that has done all the work. I want you to write this part down too because this is a clarification on that because it still sounds like work. Two more points on that. 
The work, I'll repeat that one, the work that issues from a child faith is a work of that, that issues from or flows from trusting in the work that has already been done, that God has already completed, okay? Secondly, the work that comes from a child faith is, listen to me, the work that comes through a child faith is simply enjoying the accomplishments of the work that God's completed. Now, I know that doesn't sound like work because you have a worldly and maybe even an American idea of works. This is the third point on that same child faith. I'll repeat that last one best I can. Child faith is enjoying the accomplishments or the results of the finished work of God. It is actually enjoying them. Now, Christianity, especially in America, well, in, in, in the church, I hammer and, and beat on leftist ideologies, silly mixed up philosophies that make men women and women men and the whole, the whole show. And it's, and it's insanity. Literally, it's insanity. But what I, I probably should do more of is to beat on the church that has so failed to actually walk out a faith that is like this, that they have pushed people away from a God that they have made to look like a harsh taskmaster. That whenever unbelievers think of the church, generally speaking, they think of a place where they think of a place that is defined by restrictions, dominating rules, uh, self-abasement, continually beating yourself down continually trying to please an angry God who's full of wrath and hate and just of misery and sadness and loss of freedom. That's why when you try to evangelize many of your friends, they say things like, I don't want to lose all of my friends. I want to enjoy my life and I'll consider that down the road. The last part that I was telling you about a second ago. Child faith is actually a cessation of works. Child faith, now I know this will be a little controversial, and I'm going to show you in the text why I don't think it is. Necessarily. Child faith, true faith, is a cessation of works. In so much as we're talking about the fleshly, self-preservation works that try to make a way yourself, even though you believe in God. Child faith, true faith, 
is a cessation of works. Here's why I say that. What, so if, go back to the wilderness. If the Israelites were called disobedient, and their disobedience, which was simply working to make provisions for themselves because they didn't trust God. Do we agree on that? Have I shown you that? Their, disobe their disobedience was manifested in the fact that they were working their tails off because they didn't trust God. They were working to get back to Egypt. They were working gathering up bread when he told them not to. And all of it was because they did not trust him where they were going, what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink, with their shelter. Although God had provided everything, he provided shade, he provided warmth, he provided food, he provided water, he provided everything. He provided himself, his, his own presence. He, he provided salvation from captivity. He provided everything. They didn't trust him for tomorrow. So their works, their disobedience was fleshly works of self-preservation. So, and it was, it was credited to them or it proved their unbelief so they didn't get to enter in. If they would have believed, what would it have looked like? Please tell me. What would it have looked like? Looked like. What would it? Somebody tell me. It would have looked like heaven because everything that they needed would have been supplied. But somebody else tell me. What would they, let's say it this way. What would they have done or not done? They would have just been peaceful. What? They wouldn't have complained. What else? They would have had faith. What else? They would have rested. All of that's true. When they, when they got their fill for the day, they wouldn't be scrambling around looking for manna that God said, it's not going to do you any good, it's going to rot. And if you eat it, it's going to make you sick. They would have eaten their fill, kicked back up under the shade cloud, and just enjoyed God. And they wouldn't have been worried about tomorrow. They would have ceased working. For the self-preservations. Now, they would have still gathered the manna that they needed, wouldn't they? Sure they would have. That comes out of trust. They would have gotten up early maybe in the morning to go out and, and get the manna that they knew would be there because they trusted God. They wouldn't have been anxious about going back because they know, hey, God's got me. I mean, look, there's a pillar of fire in the sky. <laughs> you know? God's got me. I'm not worried about it. See, their work would have ceased. And, and right here in the text, and I thought I was going to get a little further than this, but it's like, well, no, yeah, right here. In, uh, okay, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so here's what he's saying. As sure as it is to not enter rest through disobedience and unbelief, it is just as sure that you will enter rest and you have entered rest if you are believing. And if, you're, and if the good news in you is united in faith, unlike it was in them. His promise for blessing is as sure as his promise for wrath. And his promise of wrath is just as sure as his promise for blessing. The distinguishing factor is, do you believe? Do you have faith? And here's what he says. Now, this is, this is the part where I'm telling you that the works flow out of. Although his works, whose works? Whose? Whose? That's right. His, the Lord's, God's. His works were finished from, from where? Say it with me. The foundation of the world. The of the world. His, his works are finished. His works are finished. I know. His works are finished. 
this goes back to touch on this right here. That those who believed have entered in. This is not a work that God is going to do for you someday. It will be fulfilled and it will be robust and it will be completed one day. But this is a work that's been done before the foundations of the world. And it's, and it's as done as, for he has said somewhere, spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now... Let's finish that point. And you guys can come on up. I'm done. When God, so I'm, okay, so I, I'm, I'm making the point and I'm making the statement, I'm making the claim that the work of God is the cessation of the works of the flesh. That when I tell you and when the text tells you to examine your heart to see whether or not you be in the faith, to check your actions, to check your life, to see whether or not the works that you have are indicative or pointing to or proving that you are saved, that, is, that, that does not mean that you look at the works of self-preservation and you say, all right now, I'm going to, this is not what, okay, let's make it really practical for a second. If I tell all of you today, you need to examine your heart, you need to examine your life, and if you have no works, then it may mean that you have no salvation. And that's a real reality, right? What should we do? What do you do? Do you go home and you make a list of all the things that you do and you say, hmm, man, yeah, looks like, a, looks like by this list of works, I may not be saved because Christians don't act like that. Christians don't do that. What's the next step? Is it to make another list of things that you should start doing? Is it, is it, repent is to stop doing the things you shouldn't have been doing and to start doing the things that you should be doing, but it still doesn't answer the question. Should we make a list and say, these are the things I'm going to start doing? What do you need to do? Yes. Yes. Faith rest and guess what guess what because because you do need works don't you you need those those works that really are just manifestations of the work that God's already done so so what you do is and I'm, I'm trying to learn this too I'm trying to remind Brandon of this okay and I'm up here there's no difference I you know same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you we, we're on we're in this thing together right so what Brandon needs to do when he's unsure is he doesn't need to start doing a bunch more stuff. He needs to sit down. He needs to get along with God. And he needs to seek the Father and ask him to send the Holy Spirit to show us Christ and to lead us and to, and to be one with us and to fill us and to let us hear his voice and to let us see his face and to let us rest in him and to let us be okay in him. And what you'll find is that all of those works, all of that fruit, all of that joyous living, 
all of that worry-free living, all of that anxiety being washed away, all of the freedom that comes from from not worrying about tomorrow, what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what you're going to do, but you're just flowing in the promises of God that are sure and steadfast as a day is long and even beyond and that you're not worried about it. What you will find is when you just get away and get along with God and you just take a breath and sit down in Him and say, I can't do this, but you can. What He'll do is He'll scoop you up and he'll carry you along, and you'll be ticking everybody off that's, that's all wrapped up in their anxiety. Because they'll say, who do you think you are to go through this life in no worry? And no, you, you think, no, I, I'm not worried about it. Why? I'm not concerned one bit. Why? No anxiety. Why? Because you think you got it all together? No, not at all, because I know I don't. And I know that I can't get it together. And as a matter of fact, he ain't even no use trying. You know what it is? It's giving up to the flesh and giving in to the Spirit. And He will carry you in those paths. Get alone with God, people. Get quiet. Go into the loneliness. Open up your Bible and just ask the Lord to move in you. We're going to do the Lord's Supper this morning. Those guys can start to bring that this way. And I want to praise God that uh, Amanda Price is from our own congregation and from our own sister has baked us good bread, too, that we're going to enjoy. No more wafers. Uh, we're not in the wilderness, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and remember today that, and I, you know, I was going to go all over the place and uh, you know how time goes, but in John chapter 6, listen to this. This will be the, the last, as they're bringing this up John chapter 6 you got these people chasing Jesus around working hard to get a blessing and Jesus looks at him and he says you know you don't you're not coming after me because you love me you're coming after me because you ate your fill because you got physically you got you got physical provisions that's the only reason you're here and he says listen guys don't work for the bread that that uh, perishes don't don't spend your time working for the bread that perishes Listen, I'd say to you guys, you can, work, you can spend all, all your day busting your butt, storing up bank accounts full of money and, and making college plans for your kids and making business plans for yourself and, and making plans of change for your spouse. You can spend all, you can write lists and organizational charts and all that kind of stuff and it will just worry yourself to death and it will starve you to death and it will perish. But you can put all your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus told him, said, don't work for the bread that perishes. Work, you work for the bread that endures to eternal life. Notice how he said the, the word work. And they came to him and they said, what must, this is John chapter 6. They said, what must we do? And he says, listen, the only work of God is to simply believe in the one whom he sent. Just believe in the one whom he sent. And you will have every, you will have your fill from now on. And you won't have to worry about any of this. Are you feasting on Christ? Are you resting in Christ? Are you drinking Him in? Are you filled up full of Christ? Is all of your hope in Him? Are you joyous when you get up, even to a bad news and a bad day? Are you filled with peace, even though your world is crumbling around you? Do you have self-control? 
even though you really want to fulfill your desires in this other way? Are you faithful even when the world's crumbling? Are you gentle even when someone's sinning against you? Whether it be your wife, your husband, your kids, strangers. When somebody gives you the bird, do you give them the heart? This is how you heap up love on your enemies. Hey, you can throw the heart, okay? You have to drive with your knee for a second. Somebody gives you the bird, that's what you should do. <laughs> Let's all rise to our feet as we partake today. Hambone's going to lead us in this Lord's Supper. And uh, just remember that this bread represents the body of Christ, the bread that endures to eternal life. Rest in Him, people of God. Rest in Him.